Good evening, loves. Thank you for tuning in or streaming or downloading Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Melanie Davis. I'm Justin Robertson. And I'm Ireland Meacham. This is feeling down for the day, so we are uh, flying solo on this one, all three of us. I always miss Lucas when he's not here. Me too. We love you, Lucas. Love. Okay, so versus loss. How's how's your week been? Um, what have you been doing? What have you been up to? I've been watching a ton of Drag Race. Just <laughs> I started so I'd never seen the UK seasons before, and I finally bit the bullet because everyone always says like, "Oh, the UK seasons are so much better than the US seasons." So I I have been watching UK season one, and they are correct. It's it's great. It's <laughs> so funny. Is always yeah. better. I haven't seen the UK Drag Race. Where can I find it? Um, I got it on. I I wanted to avoid buying it on Amazon because I'm trying to wean Amazon out of my life. Uh, but I got it on YouTube streaming. Just like okay. it was like you have the option to rent it or buy it. So ah. Now, yep. does RuPaul fly into the UK? Like, yeah, they film it. It's like a BBC production. So they, it's like, yeah, I don't know how that, my production brain is like, I don't know how that would work. That's so much like legal stuff and so much, you know, because it's a completely different network. But yeah, it looks, I mean, the set looks the same. Yeah, everything's the same except. They do that with Dancing with the Stars apparently too. Like two of the judges, you know, fly back and forth from the UK to America. Both yeah. Which that would just be insane. I know it sounds expensive. I know, right? <laughs> They've um, got the money though. RuPaul, of anyone. <laughs> but who knows how their schedules work? You know, they might film them in three weeks' time here and three weeks' time there. You know, right. Yeah. I don't know how they do it, but that's that's interesting, and I'll look for it. Yeah. Oh my God. The, yeah, it was like. The first line, this one, the first drag queen that comes in is bag of chips, and she, <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I can't remember what the first line she said was, but her intro was just so funny and so very British, and like, I, I, I loved it, and she's been my favorite in the entire you know season that I've been watching so far, so. So we're rooting for bag of chips. Rooting for bag of chips. The season's over. I don't know who won because I haven't looked up any spoilers or anything, but rooting for bag of chips. <laughs> uh, I actually had an Irish uh, drag queen friend me on Facebook and like, you know, then then put up her personas and pages and stuff like that. And, and she she has a lot of uh, contests that she enters. And, and it's just really interesting to see, um, you know, I, I haven't been to... British Isles and like some of us, Justin, and uh and gotten to partake of, you know, the the local style of, of drag, because I'm sure it's got a different flavor. But uh Delicious O'Toole is Oh is my god, I love that name. <laughs> it's I really appreciate the different styles and takes on it. So that would be very interesting to see. Yeah, and it just seems like all of the UK queens and Irish queens have that like classic like basis of entertainment like they're all funny you know like they're all you know they could all just read you to filth and like you know they have the fashion is insane but like I don't know it just I think that's the difference for me between UK and US is that some of the US like a lot of the US queens are like beauty queens first you know like fashion queens or style queens or whatever Mm -hmm. but UK queens are all funny in some way you know so it's just so entertaining i love it 
Well, they've got to raise the bar there because they actually have a queen over. over. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, of course, the first challenge was like doing a queen or mini challenge was a, a quick queen drag. So <laughs> exactly. The longstanding British tradition. Yeah. Both with drag kings and drag queens. You know, I mean, it's been going on since at least the Victorian times. Well, even Shakespeare, right? It was, you know, been in drag playing Lady Macbeth. Um, I always so, wondered, Justin, how were those Shakespearean plays? Like, you know, in in, in their time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was in them, they were fabulous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, they have... The panto, which is called a pantomime, but it's not the pantomime that we think of, you know, where like Marcel Marceau. It's these uh, ribald fairy tales that are for mm -hmm. children and adults with all of these really sort of obscene jokes and themes, and they always have drag queens in them. This, the Wicked Stepmother is always played by a drag queen and has been for, yeah. you know, 150 years. And so it must be quite a challenge for the drag queens at RuPaul to, you know, they have to put on their game. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's not just like in the LGBT community. It's, it's part of the greater culture. So, you know, there's more of an audience. There's, there's more of a tradition within the, the general uh, culture, which I, mean, I we're think acting like we discovered it, but you know, we're just yeah. late to the party always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what did you, I don't know, uh, Ireland, if you've seen it, I imagine you've seen uh, the original Queer's Folk, the British edition. I have not. That's, I need, to, yeah, Queer's Folk is one of the ones I have not seen. That's like, that was like the seminal show. Um, yeah, I know. I'm, I, my whole thing is queer media and I haven't seen Queer's Folk. That's a problem. No. <laughs> What? Not so long ago. I mean, the 1990s, right, Melanie? Uh, was it late 90s? And and then, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. But it, it's a very good. Yeah. Course, I'm surprised at how dated things are now and how things. So, Tales of the City was one of my favorite shows. Oh yeah. And it just like it was on PBS, mm -hmm. and all these people got very upset about it. It dealt with all sorts of people, um, you know, straight and queer. And um, it was just transcendental for its time and really moving and inspiring for me. And then I showed it to, you know, one of my kids and he just could have cared less. Because right. Everything now, you know, I started to realize like, yeah, it's not revolutionary anymore. Yeah. I did see the remake of Tales of the City with Elliot Page. Yeah. Um, I didn't see the original though. And it's based off a book, right? Yes, it's based yeah. off a book that was actually a serial, uh, I think in the San Francisco Examiner. The the mm -hmm. author, Armistead Mompin, would write these stories and you'd sort of follow them like a soap opera. So you'd write paper and keep on reading them and then it later became a book. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, it's yeah, that was, I, I'm usually not very into soaps and, and like, I, I don't know, the format just like bothers me <laughs> for some reason. So that kind of, that part of it kind of, wasn't my favorite, but I did like the concept and I liked that there were a lot of just a ton of different types of queer people living in one house. I think that's a great concept, you know? It was wonderful. And um, the original takes place in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of, you know, how the world was changing then. And uh, it was pre-AIDS. Um, yeah. Right. 
which is and that speaks more to the the living histories thing too is it's great to hear stories about the different periods of time and, and that's um fantastic and now we have you know queer as folk being this chunk of time when living your truth and living out was was still new and exciting and becoming a lot more you know acceptable but we're still dealing with the end of the aids crisis as death sentence it became like you know well now people are living a lot longer and we have effective treatments so we have the telling of that period of transition and also of you know coming out and finding that it's possible to live an out life and be happy and successful and not just so much in the LGBT community but in the greater world too and and finding that um, openness there but but it, it's still a struggle and now you know if if my daughter was to to watch that I have a feeling that she would just kind of like shake her head a bit and be like well that's like you said, quaint, right? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Well, because now it's like I don't know. It just seems like we're at a point where there's still so many like coming out narratives. Whenever it's like queer stories, it's always either a coming out narrative, like issues with parent not accepting parents, or you know, trans kids suffering. And we're all tired of it at this point. We want just films and TV shows about queer joy and like pe- queer people living their own normal lives you know i don't know yeah there's a lot but yeah that's a great segue i I think that's also a great point though i'm sorry i didn't mean to um i i do want to point out that um whatever generation you're in we've been tired of it for so long yeah now exactly since since a very antiquated play came out called teen sympathy Mm -hmm. about a gay man that they're trying to make very macho and all of this, and, um, you know, but it's all about sympathy and feeling sorry. And I've always hated that. Um, yeah. at the same time, we have to recognize the struggles that right. people have been through, but we've always been a strong group of people. And I even felt back in my day when we weren't as omnipotent as we are now, or even as powerful or as present or recognized that our power was always diminished, mm-hmm. but it was there. If you were in the community, it was there. It's always been there. Yeah. I'm not tired of stories about queer resilience. That's for sure. Cause that's an eternal theme. We're, we're not looking flowers, you know? Yeah. Stories that come out about that. Those are what kept us around, right? You know, it was those mm-hmm. stories of, of transcendence. I, one of my friends back from MySpace days had, uh, it's her 18th anniversary. Yay. Yeah. So happy anniversary. Uh, she posted online today and the struggle that she went through is it's horrific. She's Canadian and she came to live in the United States. She was crust punk. She was queer and she, she made it through Katrina, uh, in New Orleans. She'd been attacked viciously and left for dead. She had back alley surgery, basically. She'd gone through so much and she's here still and she's thriving. And you know, her story has unfolded in front of us that know her or just like, holy crud, what you've been through to get here. But as a narrative for 
the community too. Like those are the things that we all went through, you know? So she's kind of like, she's the one who represents all of us in, in the, the greater struggle. And so I'm just incredibly proud to know her. And that shows that those kind of stories. Maybe, maybe she needs to have a, a TV show series or, or a movie made of her life. Yeah. That's what I want to see more too. I feel like in queer media, we just never see like very few representations of trans femmes too. I feel like it's very, and I don't know, I'm just ready for more stories where trans femmes are centered, where non-binary people are centered. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what's lacking as of now, you know? I'm I, just... I, I think it's coming. I hope so. Mm-hmm. So the segue I was talking about was we're a Star Trek family. <laughs> I watched Star Trek when I was young. I love the themes of it. And Katrina fell in love with Star Trek. Um, she and her friends started the Star Trek fan club at their grade school. Grade school. But she likes the fact that you can get into the characters. And there are so many different kinds of characters. And they represent different things. And I was watching the one with Scott Bakula. Um, Star Trek Enterprise, I think. I'd never seen it. I wasn't a Scott Bakula fan. He didn't represent some great things back in the day. It was just so very white and white savior complex sort of thing. It was very difficult to watch. I did it because I felt like, you know, there was something in the universe that I needed to see of it and just absorb the story. But the way it was executed, and this is something that was made in 2001 through 2000, 2005, and I thought would be a little bit more evolved in storytelling, but it wasn't. And then I started watching Star Trek Discovery. And oh my god, that is one of the best shows that I've seen in a very long time that showcases a really diverse and egalitarian worldview. And it was, you know, has a black female lead and one of the other main characters is Michelle Yeoh, and they're both really strong and capable, and, and it showcases their stories and how their character develops. Then there are these other characters that flow through that are, are some are main and some are secondary, who are queer, and they're just there, and it's not a big thing. They're just there. It's that future when we aren't something that people are even like, you go. You know, you do you. It's just like, okay, well, you're you're here and this is who you are and this is where we're going with it. And it's in its third season now or just ended its third season. And this last season is phenomenal. The writing is great. And I just feel like this is one of those uh, series that a lot of people can come together on, you know? Yeah. Star Trek, oh, well, I had his first interracial kiss. And, you know, and oh, Uhuru is a... She was on the deck, you know, she's, we had representation for black people in a TV show and, and they were mm-hmm. not just maids or yeah. other, how do I want to say it? Asian American, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was still tokenism, right? And this doesn't, this doesn't have the tokenism I feel, but uh, in the third season, there's, there's a non-binary character. Oh, who just comes yes. And just, this is who I am. And it felt very right. It just fit. It wasn't forced. There was no trauma that comes from the past. Didn't have anything to do with their their gender identity. Yeah. It was surviving in a post-apocalyptic future. I love that. 
So. Yeah, that's the other thing I'm looking forward to is just more stories where it's not even a thing, where there are queer people and this, the story is not about how they're queer, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the thing I hear talked a lot about is we want more stories where queer people are the villains and like, you know, that not all queer people are like, you know, this like model minority type of thing, um, which I a lot of people have been talking about uh, a new Netflix movie. What's it called? Uh, with the uh, Rosamund Pike, I care a lot. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cause she's like a villain in that. And like, but yeah, that's why I love shows that like, um, I don't know, just a bunch of mo- more modern shows like broad city. There's some shows on HBO. that are really good search party, uh, high maintenance, uh, just like a bunch of shows that are coming out in more recent years where like there's lots of different types of queer people and it's not at all about their queerness or it's just like regular people who are allowed to be sexually fluid, you know, just like it's, it's not even a thing. I don't know. I th- I like that kind of story too. Well, it's that, it's that normal story. It's the normalizing story, you know? Yeah. Straight people have always had the multiple narratives for their lives and I will say that if you go back beyond late 90s, if you go backward from there, queer people were pretty much all the villains. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, villains, but not in a, they're the villain because they're queer. Right. Villains because right. this is a person and they're all, mark that timestamp. This is a bad person and they just happen to be queer, you know? Yeah. yeah. We're getting there. Super cool. We're, we're coming along. And that is so beautiful. Justin, I think we, we dominated the stories. I didn't want to take that away from you. Were you going to say something? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I was going to say exactly what you said is that, you know, I mean, things just sort of go around in circles and that in the 1990s, we had to fight to not be villains. Now I always felt they were the funnest parts of the movies. <laughs> um, but so I think it's kind of great to then hear Ireland, you know, say that they weren't more villains. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that what we want is just a more complete picture. Exactly. We're not, you know, perfect. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on now. But I was going to try, I was trying to think of some, some like Cruella DeVille. Yeah, I was just I about to say, she's so queer coded. <laughs> All the Disney villains are. Yeah. Oh True. my God. Jafar. I actually did um, a PowerPoint presentation about it uh, for work and you know, for a DEI presentation and about how we are conditioned, even as children, to learn that heteronormative romance is okay and that oh, yeah. people mm-hmm. are always being punished and yep. killed. <laughs> but it is, but once again, the Disney villains are the most interesting things about any Disney movie to me. Right. Yeah. I also love, I'm like huge horror movie person and like there, mm-hmm. I could write a novel about queer representation in horror movies. Like okay. it's so complex. And so there's, cause there's, you know, the Buffalo bills and then there's oh, also mm-hmm. like, there are also positive representations, you know? So, but you're right. You know, more, more recently, usually, but yeah. cinema was really one of the first to start to embrace the queer character outside of comedies, you know, or, um, right. You know, I could write another novel about yeah, exactly <laughs> representation in um, comedies. But you know, Psycho is the greatest example uh, of queer representation. 
in that time. Yeah, <laughs> which is not necessarily positive ref- representation. No. But it's it's a, along the same lines as Buffalo Bill, for sure. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not necessarily positive, but that was the representation. Right? Oh, my God. I, I really can't express how difficult it was growing up and watching these shows and watching yeah. these movies and seeing other people's like uh, uh, ideas of who I was, you know? And then just sinking farther back into the closet because I knew that my family who's laughing at or who's uh, jeering at uh, these characters, I'm like, that is a caricature of me that you are having this hugely negative uh, reaction to. And then you're making connections because they did, of course, to actual queer people. And that, that was the dangerous part was because these were the windows that they had on the queer community. You know, this is, this is their, this is the representation that they were given. And when we talk about things like windows and mirrors in society and in different places and schools and whatever, what, um, mirrors are we given kids who are of any minority within the school community, uh, so that kids can see themselves, you know, um, black, Latino, queer, how are we letting them see that you are a part of the student body and an integral part of our society and of the world? You know, we don't want to just show white colonizer history and say, these are all the great people. Oh, and, you know, we'll throw in a George Washington Carver or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but see, this, I feel, segues into the the article that I had uh presented about all the German actors that are coming out and demanding representation. And that's what we need to have happen. So many Hollywood actors, so many of the Hollywood greats were gay or bisexual or, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and they couldn't come out. It would ruin their careers. You know, nobody right. knew about Rock Hudson until he died of AIDS. I mean, not nobody. A lot of people did, but, you know, not publicly. I think and- my mom's still upset about that. So, and Cary <laughs> Grant. And Cary Grant. Uh, we you know. go up. Marlene and Dietrich, you know, yeah. and just tons of them. Joan Crawford, you know, I, they just were all queer. And of course, it, it's not surprising because we happen to be a community that is very creative and has always been involved in the arts. You know, I mean, I know that might be a stereotype, but I do think <laughs> it's true. There's... <laughs> Yeah. Is something about us that is attracted to that. I know that I am, and um, the arts are full of queer people, so why wouldn't Hollywood be? But um, mm-hmm. there's all these stars of German stage and screen that are calling for greater diversity. Yeah. And I think that that's going to make a big difference, and we need to do the same thing here in America, because there's been 185 of them that have come out. Which is amazing. That's a lot for a country. Yeah. Yeah. Did they coordinate that? They did. They had to, right? They coordinated it. Yeah. And it was so that they could have more public visibility and, um, you know, more diverse gender identities and sexual orientation on stage and screen. You know, exactly what you were talking, talking about Ireland. And, yeah. um, I just think it's great. That's so cool. I think the time has come. I think that we are all adults now. We don't have to live under this fantasy. And there's nothing wrong. The thing is, is I also don't want to villainize 
anyone. So I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with heteronormativity. It's just not the only narrative. It's not the only thing happening. You know, all of our heterosexual listeners out there, we believe you in you. We, <laughs> we trust you to know who you are and we support you. Just wanted to say that. <laughs> I, I feel that they don't get told that enough. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm starting to find actually I, my heterosexual friends apologize to me for being heterosexual, which is I know what they're saying. Like you know, we have treated you historically so badly, so they're very nice, but they don't need to apologize. I do not expect them to be queer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, I just like turning that stuff on its head. You're straight. How embarrassing. <laughs> Oh my God, what did your parents think? What did your parents, yeah, exactly. What would my friends uh, think? They might think I'm straight too. Right? <laughs> Just don't do it around kids, okay? Well, you did already do that. You know, but, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Kissing? <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> Which actually segues into another news article. I like how these things just kind of dovetail together. Because truly, folks, we didn't have this written out. Um, <laughs> Doing a pretty so, bang up job, I'd say. Don't say that. I, I've got insurance now, but don't. Sorry. I still don't want to get into a bang up of any sort. Um, so I've been to Tulum. It's in Mexico. It's in Yucatan. Oh, well, hi, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Why were we together? Uh, so on the beach there are beautiful beaches these gorgeous beaches and a lot of them are like closed down at night my brother almost got arrested for being on the beach with uh two young women that he met he was unable to talk himself out of it but the young women talked them and him out of getting arrested so it was always kind of like a uh, watch out for the police because they very strictly enforce the rules but this was in the middle of the daytime and uh, the police were called by somebody saying that there were men committing, quote, immoral acts. And somebody said that the uh, the men were engaged in oral sex on a public road, which is hard to believe. And so the police show up and they're in tactical gear, folks. They you won't be able to see it, but they you can look it up. They are they've got their AR style rifles slung over their shoulders they got the masks on, they got the, their helmets on, and they pull up on the beach in their, their off-road vehicles, and they arrest these guys. As they're kind of loading the, the men up onto the vehicle to take them off, a crowd forms around the, the officers and the men, and they start to protest, right? So this is, you've all seen the I'm Spartacus thing, right? The movie Spartacus, or you know of it? Yes. So the, the scene, the seminal scene, I said that seminal again, maybe semen is. Well, that's, it's a derivative of that. It is. That's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> the seminal scene, otherwise known as the money shot. Right? <laughs> is that where that comes from? Right. Never mind. Uh, Cut that out, Lucas. <laughs> have to be cut out. It's hysterical. I think we've lost that. Um, 
I'm so sorry. <laughs> so here, so this crowd surrounds the police and these, uh, these two men who are handcuffed together. And the first part of this is in Spanish, so many of our listeners might not understand. But the second part, you'll, you'll get quite well. And the first time I watched that, I cried. You know, there there were these people on the beach, and they came to these uh, these guys' aid. And they did the I'm Spartacus and they all came together and they all said, well, I'm gay. Well, yeah, I'm gay, too. If you're going to arrest them, you got to arrest me, too. Exactly. You have to arrest the whole beach. And they let the guys go because of that. Wow. That's great. <laughs> and, See, and the thing is, that is true allyship. <laughs> right. Put your bodies in there, folks. Um, yeah, that is, you know, that's just a part of like the harassment that people still face in, in some places. And <laughs> just how beautiful. I yeah, that's thought beautiful. everybody on that beach. And if you see the video, it's really cute. Everybody's really concerned and nobody was putting up a fight. It was just very adamant that these gentlemen not be carted away for not breaking a law. It's it's not a it's not a crime to kiss for two men or two women to kiss on the beach or in private. Yeah, the tone oh. was very like, no, no, you're not going to do that. No, <laughs> like it, it wasn't like outrage. It was like, no, that's simply not going to happen. You know. <laughs> so that's great. Thank you, Tulum. So many places around the world are worse than America. So many places have restrictive laws. Or it's Chechnya style, where people are in danger of losing their lives all the time, uh, being disappeared in some sort of neo-Stalin-esque campaign, where you're carted off to someplace private that nobody knows about, some clandestine building, and you're processed, and you don't come back. And no, we aren't that bad here. We're doing a lot better. But there's still so much willful ignorance going around. The definition of willful ignorance uh, is Rand Paul, but we can get to that after a music break. I, I kind of want to take a breather here. I was going to say Rina Sawayama is really great. She's got a bunch of really good songs, but there's one that's like, it sounds very queer. They're, they all sound queer, but oh. Cherry's a good one. Hello? Can I speak to you? i 
Thank you for suggesting that music, Ireland. I will, of course, have to download the entire album now. Yeah, every single one is a bop. She's great. Rena's great. <laughs> and where did you just Spotify from, recommends? Uh, and you know, I, a couple of her songs have been kind of big lately. So it's so hard to to get into music. Well, number one, I've aged out of the clubs, uh, but <laughs> uh, clubs aren't a thing anyway. Exactly. At the moment, there's, there's nowhere to go. And I kind of feel disconnected from from music and all of that creative uh, energy. Yeah, uh, which you know you're talking about one of the hallmarks of the LGBTQ community is is creativity, and it just feels like we're in stasis. You know, I know I agree, and that's why I um I think we've talked about also the end of gay bars and everything. And yes, we should all have bars that are just for everybody. But I feel like there's something special about the ambiance of a gay bar. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I've, I've been heard all my music, my dance mm-hmm. moves, fashion, all of that. I've been really missing the back door lately. Yeah. yeah. A great place. And yeah. Smooth has kept that closed. Uh, well, and for good reason. Yeah. yeah. Very good reason. Yep. Yeah. Um, had her on the show and she discussed that. Yeah. And hopefully that won't be the case anymore. I mean, we just in Indiana, we have what it's 50 and up now. And just a couple of days before that, it was 
uh, 65 and up or 60 and up. Mm-hmm. So they, they keep dropping it pretty rapidly. Um, yeah, I'm surprised at how quickly it went because I'm 52. Yeah. And, but, um, yeah, I got an appointment today. Yeah. March <laughs> so I'm, I'm very excited about it. Woo! Yay! Woo! I heard that Biden had said there will be enough for everyone in the U.S. by the end of May because they just did some new deal with um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Was and, it May? But maybe, yeah, maybe. They moved it up because they had a new wow. deal come through with like a another like rival manufacturer of, like is going to work with Johnson & Johnson now. And Well, it better be by May because... We can't. Yeah. Lose, we can't lose another gin, folks. No, no. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah. um, Reclaim Pride Coalition is throwing the queer march again. Yes. Um, I've been going to those meetings, uh, and I'm on the media team. I'm gonna be on the. Um, we're doing. Uh, I'm super involved. Actually, they're like, it was so great. I only like started going to these meetings like a month ago, and I'm already on like two different committees and like, you know, they just value everyone's input no matter how long you've been working with them. And like, I'm going to be on the live stream team. We're working on like figuring out how to live stream the thing. So y'all can watch, um, online. And, but yeah, so that's the last Sunday of June, June 27th. And it will be streaming online. So heads up. Well, if we got all of our shots, maybe we could just go. Yeah. That's too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually a, com- a community survey out now that I want to plug um, because it's, you know, everyone is uh, welcome to fill it out. It's just about like what we want to see for the march. And like, we're still deciding on a theme and everything. So we want input from just the queer community in New York and all over the country. So there's if you go to um, at, I believe it's at Queer March, I'll double check that on Instagram. There's a link uh, to fill out the survey. OK. And we'll put the link down in the in the show notes. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this year now. One year without pride is hard, but I can't imagine two years without. That's just inconceivable. Which is the unique thing about Queer March is that it's it happens every year. No, I mean, it happened last year, too, no yeah. matter pandemic or not, because there's always something to protest. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, and I love that they keep the original theme, the original yep. spirit alive. Are they farming it out outside of New York? Or is it going to be just a New York thing? Are they going to have, you know... It's, I mean, the the march will take place in New York, but we're live streaming it so that anyone can watch no matter where you are. I mean, I'm sure lots of people will come in from out of out of state, out of town okay. to march, but yeah. There aren't going to um, be like, you know, sister marches down Halstead or anything like that, right? I don't think so. Not at this. Yeah, not that I know of now, but... Okay. That'd be fun to see it propagated and yeah, and influence the other marches because Definitely. it's really important to keep a, an eye to what we're still fighting for. Exactly. And, and we're still fighting for things like not getting berated by Rand Paul. I know y'all heard about this. Might not have heard. Have you guys his little tirade? Oh, yeah. I have not. Okay. So this is uh, during Rachel Levine's hearing, her nomination hearings. He just went off on this unhinged, absolutely asinine. Just listen to it. Genital mutilation has been nearly universally condemned. Genital mutilation has been condemned by the WHO, 
the United Nations Children's Fund, the United Nations Population Fund. According to the WHO, genital mutilation is recognized internationally as a violation of human rights. Genital mutilation is considered particularly egregious because, as the WHO notes, it is nearly always carried out on minors and is a violation of the rights of children. Most genital mutilation is not typically performed by force, but as WHO notes that by social convention, social norm, the social pressure to conform, to do what others do and have been doing, as well as the need to be accepted socially and the fear of being rejected by the community. American culture is now normalizing the idea that minors can be given hormones to prevent their biological development of their secondary sexual characteristics. Dr. Levine, you have supported both allowing minors to be given hormone blockers to prevent them from going through puberty, as well as surgical destruction of a minor's genitalia. Like surgical mutilation, hormonal interruption of puberty can permanently alter and prevent secondary sexual characteristics. The American College of Pediatricians reports that 80 to 95% of prepubertal children with gender dysphoria will experience resolution by late adolescence if not exposed to medical intervention and social affirmation. Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? Well, Senator, thank you for your interest in this question. Um, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field um, with robust research and uh, standards of care that have been developed. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah, medicine. The specific question was about minors. Let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia? You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught, you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the Internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field, uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff 
about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. So that is, um, just doesn't know what he's talking about at all. That was so frustrating to listen to. Comparing like hmm, genital mutilation in other countries to transgender medicine, like that is not the same thing, even a little bit. Right. And the fact that he's like, yeah, hormone blockers are essentially the same thing as amputation of, of, you know, whatever. It's like, that does not, that barely ever happens. Minors usually aren't, you know, there are so many, I mean, there are so many steps, like she kept trying to say in order to diagnose someone and like, imagine, like imagine being a trans kid and already having to go through hell in order to get affirming care. And then hearing someone like this, like advocating against your care and telling you you're wrong and not making the right decision. That's just, it, ugh. I know it's, it's hard, hard to talk. It's too hot for me. I don't know. I just, it's hard like to I form can't. coherent sentences in the face of so so many lies and false equivalencies. He yeah. he, and this has been used again across the board for for everyone. Um, you know how how why should we let children? How do kids know that they're gay or not? You know that's that was big back in the nineties. Like you know how do kids know they're straight? Right. Exactly. So we should we should throw them into therapy and have them corrected and, and whatnot. That's that kind of we are the default and you people are exactly is what he's saying. So genital mutilation, otherwise usually referenced in terms of female genital mutilation, is a horrible, amoral, evil act. Uh, it destroys the genitals, and it is a forced cultural uh, norm in some places. It's outlawed uh, in the United States and most of the world. And it's done as a way of controlling and, yeah, basically, right, of women and young girls. It's a, it's a, it's a way of, of causing them harm in order to enforce conservative ideas of marriage and what's the word i'm looking for not virginity but you're you're not going to stray if you don't feel pleasure from exactly sex. you're not going to stray from your your husband yep it's a horrible thing and then to have the false equation that he presented is just but there's yeah. some people that, this, you know how many people see this as that right like when i was growing up that's what people talked about it's it's um amputation that that term number one that's not done on children for for being trans minors are not operated on to change their genital structure it is routinely done on intersex children though against you know anybody's like better sense still because we know better. We know that unless it is for the actual health of the child, like the, the malformation is uh, severe and will cause pain or illness, you just don't need to reconfigure anybody's genitalia, whether or not they conform to what you feel is right for them. They used to say that kids who were born with ambiguous genitalia and who are not assigned a sex when they were very young, if they didn't have that affirmation of a sex that they would grow up either confused or without love, that was typically said to parents. Um, this is why you need to assent to your child having these surgeries. It was just speculation on the doctor's part. 
for trans kids, puberty blockers, which are absolutely not the same as any kind of uh, no, yeah, surgery. completely different and reversible. You just go off the puberty blockers and you have puberty as you uh, would. It doesn't change you. It doesn't do anything. Uh, cross hormonal uh, therapy will. But in order to get that, you don't just like walk into the doctor one day and say, I want it. If that were the case, so many trans people wouldn't have a lot of the, the heartache that they have had uh, mm-hmm. through their going through the wrong puberty. So that's a false equivalency in and of itself. That's just a, a horrid lie about what this is. Rand Paul needs, he should know better. He he has a medical degree. He's an ophthalmologist. Um, not sure that that gives him any authority in this case, but he understands medical terminology, and and I would hope that he understands standards of care and how decisions are made. It's not like a teenager walks in and says, "I want this. Give it to me," and the doctor is like, "Well, my hands are tied. I've got to." It does not happen. And in the case that he brought up, that uh, young person was not in the U.S and was therefore under a different set of criteria and laws, British citizen, the surgeries that were done were done when she was uh, uh, she was an adult at that time. Yeah, just so many inaccuracies in everything he said. And Levine literally was like, you know, if you want to talk about all the ways you're wrong, I will come to your office and we can discuss this, you know, because there's, she was, I liked that she was just like, there's just not time right now to like, prove to you all the ways that you're wrong. Like what the representative uh, Brian Sims said, um, he said, quote, while Rand Paul is a doctor, his own history makes it clear. He has no respect for science or medicine. And that, I mean, is exactly the point, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's like, right. meanwhile, I'm sure he has no problem with better than this, you know, yeah. um, I'm sure he has no problem with circumcision. Well, that's, I, I was like, wondering, yeah. was it circumcised? You know? Or intersex surgeries, for that matter. That is genital mutilation. Well, um, he was describing circumcision, right? He was describing a surgery that, that's imposed. Absolutely. Performing on a minor without their consent. Yeah. And it's a surgery that, that does have health consequences and pleasure consequences, too. Exactly. So it angers me that those things are, are routinely allowed you know, it's got to come to the the media to be rebuked and to be for him to be chastised. It's not in the halls of Congress. You know, it's not in the moment. This dude is a senator. God, how dangerous. How dangerous. And how many times does this get played over and over again in conservative media and in the ears of people who don't know any better right. and aren't going to look it up? And who should rightfully be upset about genital mutilation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's not the same thing. But he just yeah. doesn't understand what is going on. God, yeah. And he doesn't want to. Or he does, and he's he's making false claims on purpose. Either way, Rand Paul is a horrible human being with an even worse haircut. I said that. I got that. <laughs> I went there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. This is a bit of a tangent, but I just, this has made me think of this. It was, I was in a health class at IU. It was like a human sexuality class. I was like one of the only queer people in the class. And we had, you know, we would talk, we would talk about things or, you know, discuss things in class and then break off into discussion groups and have little, you know, um, 
activities and whatever and discussions. And in my, it was, the topic was like, you know, had to do with circumcision and everything. So we were talking about that in the discussion group and we all had to write like what we would do if we had a child with a penis and were faced with that decision. And for some reason, I was the only one out of the discussion group that was arguing against circumcision. I was like, who are you? Everyone else was like, oh, it's a health thing. You know, people are other, other boys are going to think he's weird in the locker rooms and, you know, and, oh, it's a, you know, health. I was like, literally just teach them how to wash themselves correctly. And you've got the problem solved. Like what? What? Back in the old ancient times when it's the desert and there's no water and all that stuff. It doesn't make sense anymore. There's no need for it. Yeah. My stance on it. Yeah. I would never do that to my son. Yeah. And it's like, how is this even, I, I, don't, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me that this is even up for discussion. And that's why it was so weird for me to be the only one like advocating against it. I was like, what don't you people see? Cause we were talking about female genital mutilation too, in that class. I was like, don't you see the comparison? Like, come on. Right. <laughs> so frustrating. And then meanwhile, you know, trans medicine and gender firm, gender affirming care is just absolutely not okay. Like, there's so many. It's just like sheer hypocrisy. I hate it. It is. <laughs> and, and these are the same kind of things that they've been rolling over for the past 40, 50 years. It, they're the same sort of concerns and things. And this time it's being lobbed at, at kids who um, they feel are being railroaded. And uh, the idea that this is the popular thing to do, that people are trans and non-binary because it's popular which is or or gay you know or uh, bi or pan um because it's popular you know there might be a small number of kids who who need counseling if they subvert their identity to so they feel might be popular i don't know that it's ever been popular but you're talking like, okay, one or two examples, not a trend. What the trend yeah. is, is people feeling themselves, they knowing themselves, coming into their own authentic selves and being able to express that and to live it. And knowing that at a younger age. Yeah. Yeah. Because now we have the representation, we have the research, we have the science that tells us that this is a thing and that's okay. Like, Oh God, I just, he did that American Academy of pediatric or pediatricians or pediatrics. It's not an actual doctor led organization. It's a spinoff of a right wing think tank. Mm -hmm. It's all BS. I really want to curse. Well, but, I'm just thinking uh, of like Marjorie Taylor green, you know, People love to talk about science when it serves them, but then climate change is not real, you know, like, well, and the science isn't there. Like the, they're talking about science, but they're, they're not using it. There are two sexes, biological sex. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> if you look at the science, that's incorrect. <laughs> if you look at my eyes, that's not correct. <laughs> yeah. It's a continuation. And it, the reason I kind of want to, drum on that is because that's going around the states this misinformation is going around you know we saw it here in indiana it uh it's been introduced in 
20 other states. In some cases, it's gained traction. In Indiana's case, they're, they're waiting for it. The bills themselves that were presented that were anti-LGBT in Indiana, including a bill that wanted to um, block youth from getting any kind of affirming care. And that includes counseling. So LGBT kids who wanted to go in because they needed to talk to somebody about uh, who they are and how it affects them couldn't. Their their therapists couldn't speak to them in an affirming way about their, their sexuality or their gender. And they couldn't get care based on their sexuality or their gender identity. And that would be what yeah, the what result is. And, and people just don't see that that's not solving anything. That's you're causing the deaths of children at that point, you know, causing like, the deaths of children now. Yeah. You're just not, not affirming your kids is actually causing them to commit suicide. Yeah. Because studies show that where kids are affirmed at home, their suicide rates go down to almost the rates of, of, uh, cishet. Ch- children, which should be a real eye opener, but apparently it's not. Montana is one of those places. There, there's a, a bit in the news about the state senate there had passed a couple of bills. One was a religious freedom restoration act, the RIFRA, like we have here in in Indiana, which basically means that they're free to discriminate uh, against people for based on their religion for being uh, LGBT. And then the other one is um, it would require trans people to have surgery to obtain a court order before changing the gender marker on their birth certificates. The reason that that's not okay is because a lot of trans folk simply can't afford it. Or don't want to. And an increasing number don't want to because whatever, it doesn't really matter. This is something that um, they've been wrestling with in other countries uh, Sweden had this and it was a for, it's basically forced sterilization. It's really insidious, but it's just one more way of controlling people's bodies. And we know that they've been working on that forever. So, um, this is just, just an extension of it. <sighs> more things change, the more they stay the same, but we're, um, out of time. We are. Looming Out is a production of WFHB Community Radio and produced by Melanie Davis and Cade Young. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Roberts. I'm Ireland Meacham. I'm Melanie Davis. And remember, if everything were straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Be well, stay safe, speak truth, manifest equity, demand justice, wear your masks, sign up for your vaccination if you can, and good night from your Blooming Out family. Good night.